Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pursuit of Truth podcast. My name is Will. I'm your host. Today's date is Feb. I mean, excuse me, April fourteenth, twenty twenty one, and today's episode is going to be when AI first met you, part four in our series. But before I get to that, I mean, I, I was saying it to a lot of friends and family, texting them, buy Bitcoin. You know, uh, I talked about Bitcoin. I talk about it so much. I mention it in passing and I mention it often. And I'm telling you, Bitcoin is a way that you can protect your wealth. Because I already told you in episode 13, uh, it's called The Truth About Your Money, episode 13. If you haven't heard that, I recommend, I strongly recommend actually going back to listen to that episode because I tell you the truth about your money and everything like that. I tell you about the bank system and things like that. And you, what you see in the media right now, is a lot of times you'll see you know the government and people in the media saying oh don't buy bitcoin bitcoin only criminals use bitcoin and things like that well i i told you that the american dollar is losing 15 percent of its value every year 15 one five and bitcoin is a way that it bitcoin protects your wealth how does it do that well you know the dollar loses value every year and so the United States dollar is actually a Federal Reserve note. And I talked about this all in episode 13. And I explained this all to you. So it's called the Federal Reserve note. And it's owned by what? The Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve, you can't go in there. I can't go in there. So the CIA, FBI, the DOJ, the government officials, the President of the United States, none of them are allowed in the Federal Reserve. Why? Because the Federal Reserve is a private bank owned by bankers in London, England, who loan money to the United States government and you pay taxes to pay back the interest, not not the debt. There's interest on the money that is loaned to the United States government. It's The money's printed out of thin air. And so there's interest attached to that loan. And so we have to pay back the interest every year that you pay tax, April 15th or something like that. I think the IRS may have moved it back to June. Every year you're, you're helping pay back the uh, the interest and so the debt is never going to go down. So when you whenever you hear politicians talk about, oh my goodness, we're going to pay back the debt, that's not going to happen. Okay, we're not paying back the entire twenty eight trillion dollars in debt to the uh, central bankers in London. It's just not going to happen because it's just an astronomical number, and there's no way that they would let allow a country to not be in debt because a country that's not in debt can control its can, can pretty much control itself. And if you're wondering, yes, the United States has been ruled by foreign power for a very 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 long time since. Before you were born, probably even before your grandparents were born, you know, America's been ruled by a foreign power for a very, very long time. And if you want to know more about that, uh, I talk about it in episode 13, and I think it's episode 18. So the episode where um, the truth about your money and then the act of 1871, there's two episodes I did in the past, and those are really, really enlightening episodes. I recommend going back and um listening to those episodes so pretty much uh, before i get started into the ai stuff so i i pretty much bought into bitcoin when it was about 43 44 thousand and so i actually got my parents into bitcoin too i know my mom is gonna be happy when she actually looks at her bitcoin now but um so i i, I bought it in about 45 44 45 thousand 43 thousand somewhere around there and so for a long time, Bitcoin had been hovering up around 57, 58, 59. And I had been talking about it with friends and family, like, oh, man, I think it's going to hit 60K. And it officially already hit 60K um, because I, I usually just put money into it and I just forget about it. But I actually checked my uh, my account today 
and I saw that the Bitcoin did not just hit 60K. It was at 64K the last time I looked at it. I looked at it about 11.45 at night, you know, because I, I record these things after work. So it's about it's about 12.20 in the morning right now for me on April uh, 14th. And so I looked at my Bitcoin and it was about, um, the Bitcoin value was about 64,000. So um, they actually have models I looked at on Forbes and things like that. And they say that, they say that uh, there's models that say that by by August of 2021, it's going to be 115,000. Now I don't know about it being 115,000, but I do think, I think I think it'll be 70k in the next couple months. I think about 70k. And you notice Elon Musk. I talked about it in the past video. Elon Musk said that you can buy his Tesla cars in Bitcoin. And when Elon Musk was receiving that money, that Bitcoin, he was. Um, not converting it into American dollars. Now, why do you think he would do that? There's a specific reason. Now, Bitcoin is a way to protect your wealth because Bitcoin is not centralized. Bitcoin, uh, pretty much every time that you deposit or withdraw money from your bank, the there is a ledger. Pretty much, you know, back in the day, long time ago, ledgers were done by just physically. And so whenever you withdraw money these days in 2021 or a uh, modern day, that ledger is automatically updated by a machine. Now, with Bitcoin multiple different people will update the ledger so say if i update the ledger on i don't know june 3rd i probably won't get a chance to update the ledger for a year or two or a couple years something like that it's really complicated the way the ledger system works with that but you have anonymous random people updating the ledger the ledger um with bitcoin so that's that's it's decentralized and no one can control the currency because the currency has to be mined so with that said we're going to go ahead and get into when ai first met you part four now i'm gonna keep on saying it because i like to give credit to the author of the book author of the book is his name is cyrus a parsa from the ai organization you look him up on youtube his youtube channel is the ai organization the book we're reading from him is called AI, Trump, China, and the Weaponization of Robotics with 5G. And when we left off, we were talking about things like, you know, social media tracking, AI automated tracking at shopping centers when they would look and see what you buy and things like that and how they could stop you from shopping if you were targeted by a socialist, socialist regime. The DNA ancestry kits and things like that, how the DNA ancestry kits are actually pretty false because we don't know what people looked like 2500 years ago no we talked about uh china having access to six billion people their facial recognition data and biometrics about six billion people they have access to worldwide um the payment gateways and app tracking you know smart cities connected to the robots smart cities with shopping centers and things like that connecting to the automated cars and hotels and buildings and iot devices you know iot is the internet of things which is pretty much the internet all around us that connects all of our devices um you know we talked about bird and hawk drones remote octopuses um cheap toy robots made in china that have uh cameras and things like that that can measure biometrics and send you your data and your family's data back to china so china can have that talked about uh microbiotic spiders cockroaches snakes and ants they're making these things into drones robo bees cyborg beetles mosquito drones the dragonflies and insects and uh things like that so then we talk about drone drone swarms automated drone swarms where they can actually um create drones animal drones and actually swarm them and kill the animals who are not drones and they can actually use them to attack people think about it like robotic birds and things like that 
and how they can use robo bees and microscopic robots to spread diseases and things like that, you know. So, we are continuing on. This part is going to be called drones and tracking. It says, the drones made in China. The made in China drones you buy in stores are collecting your geolocation, your biometrics, facial data, and flight maps of the surrounding geography while it is being while the data is being sent back to China in a multitude of interconnected ways. Most importantly, the data is allowing the Chinese drone companies to advance their drone weaponized programs through data provided to AI via the development of deep learning. Basically, the purchase of Chinese-made drones or drones made by companies and their subsidiaries that connect with China is giving data to China's drone weaponization programs. The more flight time they have, the more data is subject to be transmitted, logged, and used to enhance Chinese drones. Next, we have security robots in the United States with Chinese software owned by Chinese companies. There are robots deployed in high-end shopping malls and facility, facilities that can detect human body movements, intention, emotion, and whether you have a weapon hidden inside your clothes. The security companies that deploy the products in the West are buying robots that are owned, serviced, and made by Chinese companies or Western companies that have some relationship with other Chinese companies. This advancement of policing people with security robots is laying the future foundation to not only track people, but to create a police state with robotics by big tech corporations. The Chinese often multiple names registered for the same corporation that is a bit harder to track, let alone connect to their military without having an inside source within mainland China. Usually, they will have an offshore corporate name and one and a different name in China. The American businesses provided providing automated security robots sound American in name, or it may be owned by an American or Western company. However, it tracks back to China one way or another. Next, we have... China's intellectual property theft and collaboration with Western big tech to weaponize AI and robotics. Title of this section is called Stealing Leads to Laying the Foundation of AI and Robotics Weaponization in China. Through the finest U.S. and European universities, institutes, and tech companies, Chinese students, researchers, engineers, visiting scholars, professors, and business associates of University foundation and institutes have collected data, expertise, and stole innovate, innovative design, designs and brought them back to China through various outlets. The theft is usually made through hybrid biodigital social programming. It is not always a cyber attack or breaking into your office to steal information or passing on company blueprints. No, hybrid biodigital social programming theft is king, and it will be discussed further in the book. Next, we have hybrid biodigital social programming theft according to hundreds of non-mainland chinese testimonies in every sector every sector of society the mainland chinese are extremely clever to a point that it hurts humanity mainland chinese that grow up in communist china are extremely clever and very hard to read for most westerners due to the due to their introverted characters lack of in external emotional displays and their cutthroat corrupt communist environment in china that operates 1.5 billion people so pretty much the way the reason that these people are like this because of their they were programmed by the socialist socialist communist regime of china which has been in power for over 70 years even their facial recognition data points requires alternative ai pattern recognition tools to decipher their hidden emotions and intents 
that are in deeper layers within their expressions, which seem micro as compared to Westerners' macro emotional expression. So pretty much me and you, so we're, well, the people who listen who are in the United States, we react different ways to certain things. We may have a loud reaction or things like that. But the average Chinese citizen who lives in China uh, will react differently to certain things. And they're, hard, they're harder to read than people like uh, myself and yourself. It says... They can use faculty, staff, other researchers, students, administrators, and multiple people in a hybrid way to create conversations, situations, and actions that have nothing to do with the actual topic or platform of the intellectual property needed. In fact, its mere diffusion and daily life situations have so many paths and scenarios that eventually lead to the information that they need. Sorry, as you know, the English in this book is not the great. It's not the greatest uh, grammatical work of art ever says, for example, a Chinese technician or researcher can use an Indian or even American technician to extract information without their knowledge, with their knowledge or without, excuse me. It is a gray area. Since nationalism exists in China and Chinese, but nationalism has been dormant for decades in the United States prior to President Trump's victories, hence, the Chinese know that there are gaps that they could exploit and now know that there is a division in the United States and the Western world. Next, says, we interviewed more than 1,000 Chinese. Over 90% declare that, quote, Westerners are naive and Chinese are a lot smarter and can get to their objectives without Westerners realizing what they are doing, unquote. The idea is that they can be your friend for years, make emotional connections, put forth ideas, and make promises and create thousands of scenarios to reach a situation, a place, or a person to extract information. Basically, a mainland Chinese person can be very capable. Can be a very capable spy. Their end goal is to program you through bio-digital social programming to extract information. Lots of mainland Chinese who have not been assimilated to Western freedoms are so good at it that their intents and actions are subconscious and on autopilot, without a conscious plan to steal anything. It's really a matter of opportunity that arises based on their corrupt environments that they experience in communist China. In fact, the Chinese people are the biggest victims of theft. Their 5,000 years of culture based on ethics was destroyed by a communist dictatorship. Next, forced espionage and technology transfer. China's communist regime has a socialist platform which gives it full control and access to all people, assets, data, and innovation of any person or entity in China. Hence, even if a merger or sharing is done between two corporations in the West and China, that information or technology can be accessed or taken by the Chinese communist regime and its military. Alternatively, the Chinese people in the West can be threatened, coerced, or used without their knowledge to inadvertently steal information and pass it on to China's government via its subsidiaries. Next, we have collaboration with Western corporations weaponizing AI and robotics. China's regime extracts AI and robotics intelligence that is fostering the research, development, and the innovation needed to deploy AI and robotics as weapons of war on civilians and nation-states. Through open-source sharing, intellectual property theft, espionage, investments, mergers, media acquisitions, asset takeovers, purchase of property, sales made in China technologies, sales of made-in-China technologies, and collaboration with institutes, academia, and government, China is developing an AI monster that can track, control, and kill anyone at will in the next five to ten years if 
they go unchecked by the Trump administration. Keep in mind, this book was written in 2019. Now, that paragraph was actually very interesting because it talked about the media acquisitions. Remember, in the last episode, I actually talked about how members of the United, of the New York Times worked for a Chinese Communist Party-owned media corporation where they were like switching up how the Chinese were doing their, their media and things like that to appeal more to Westerners. If they have stake at the New York Times and they had former workers at the New York Times... Did you think that they used to have that? Do you think that they have workers who used to who, do you think that they have former workers that work at CNN now? What about Fox News? What about MSNBC? What about ABC? What? Huh? What do you what do you think? Scary, right? I think now you're starting to see how militant and evil the Chinese Communist Party is, because I said it once and I'll say it again. The enemy is not the Chinese people or anyone of Chinese descent. The en enemy are the Chai Coms, the Chinese communists. That is the enemy. Not the Chinese people, the Chinese communist party. That is the enemy. They are the most evil entity to ever be on the face of the earth. I don't care about Rome. I don't care about Babylon, Persia, anything. I don't care. China is worse than Germany or Russia, okay? They are so sophisticated in what they do. So, let's continue on reading about this. It says, our next section here says, The One Belt, One Road, China-Iran Historical Connection and AI Robotics Goals of the Chinese Proposed in Empire. So now, this section it was actually an extremely interesting section to me because we see that in our world today, China and Iran are uh, working together. They're working together. They signed like 25-year deals and things like that to keep on working together, them and North Korea and Russia and things like that. So, one thing you see that in China that you know about very well is that China has the Uyghur Muslims who are being persecuted. Now, the Uyghurs are, like I said, they're Muslim, right? And Iran is what? A country full of Muslim folks. So, well, that is, uh, excuse me, I will say that that is their, their national religion. Okay, the people at the leadership are Muslim. Remember, uh, a certain uh, one, Louis Farrakhan, had actually went to Iran. Uh, during the Trump administration, you can go ahead and look that up. Louis Farrakhan went to Iran. So this section here is going to explain that China-Iran relationship. Okay, so let's go ahead and start. So it says, China needs Iran greatly for its AI and robotics development and its geopolitical resource planning that is attempting to connect to the world. China and Iran, or Persia, have a relationship that goes back roughly 2,300 years with the start of exploration, trade, and collaboration. The Persian royalty and thousands of, of villages under their rule escaped to China after the Arab invasions. Later, they were subsequently wiped out or engulfed by the Mongol invasions. You can see them today in China, partially manifesting as Uyghur, Uyghur Turks in Xinjiang and so on. So they're Uyghur Turks in Xinjiang and so on. So it says, they look Asian but can have heavy beards, blue or and blue or green eyes. In fact, historical Chinese and Greek writings state that the Persians were tall with blue eyes and blonde or reddish hair. Many Persian or Iranian folk, folk tales, they describe people of the same characteristics. In fact, the, per the Persian language is rooted in Sanskrit and certain Mongolian words combined, and they correspond to with the historical invasions of its territories. So, you can go ahead and look that up. Look up, look up the uh, 
Iranians in, 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 in China. And I actually did do a, a Google search. I searched images. I did see a gentleman or a couple gentlemen in a photo. The gentleman looked like he was Chinese, but he had a beard like that of somebody who uh, was of Middle Eastern descent. So, and they, they do have blue or green eyes. And it's, and, it's, and it's actually really, really fascinating to see somebody who looks like that because we don't see many people who look like that. Because most people in the world have uh, brown eyes and dark hair. That's what most people in the world have. So, go, moving on. It says, the Shah of Iran and the socialist-led Islamic re revolution of the Iranian people. Since the 1979 violent Islamic revolution in Iran, the Iranian, re the Iranian regime worked closely with China's military and trade in a collaborative way as a proxy against the United States. Prior to 1979, the Shah of Iran, which is like the the Shah is like the emperor, the emperor was reluctant to work with China because China was a socialist dictatorship led by violent Marxist agendas. The Shah of Iran declared in video interviews with American media in the 1970s that he may he may have executed or imprisoned some Marxists for trying to overthrow the government and conduct conduct assassinations. Excuse me. And that he also imprisoned radical Muslim extremists who were collaborating with the socialists to overthrow the country. That sounds familiar. The Western media and some reporters blasted negative press about the emperor intentionally that contributed to his fall and the sufferings of tens of million people, tens of millions of people in Iran and the Middle East for decades to come. Sounds a little bit familiar, if you know what I'm talking about. Before he left Iran, the Shah declared in tears that he did not want to open fire on the demonstrator demonstrators and that they had been fooled by special interest oil companies that are funding socialist and violent muslim revolutionaries in iran to in order to weaken the shah's position in opec opec is pretty much the oil alliance thing so and that sounds familiar right the shah stated that this was because he had influenced the tripling of oil prices under his rule to match the west's raising of their commodities he accused Jimmy Carter's administration of supporting Marxist socialist groups in Iran in covert ways to dethrone the emperor and claimed that special interests had influence on the media, world's government, and the CIA to degrees that were not in the interest of humanity. Sounds familiar, right? The Shah was in friendly terms with Israel and with multiple past United States presidents. However, he claimed that there were Marxist socialist elements that were starting to damage the United States presidency, starting with Jimmy Carter. Sounds familiar. He was dethroned and, and the Middle East started to go up in flames with the Iran-Iraq war, Russian invasion of Afghanistan, and exponential rise in terrorism. Tens of millions of people have suffered horribly since the socialism uprisings in Iran, led by social, special interests, influence on the media, and masses of people inside Iran, in France, UK, and the United States. Sounds familiar because there is a lot of special interests that controls our media here in the United States today. But if I just told you outright what was going on, I don't, I don't think some of you would, would believe me. So some things have to happen in our country and around the world before you really are going to listen to me about that one. So our next subject says, excuse me, our next section says, Iran becomes a socialist Islamic republic promising free education, free gas, and free health care. Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> Let me read that again. Iran becomes a socialist Islamic Republic by promising free education, free gas, and free health care. Free education, free gas, free health care. Now, 
I digress on that one. So I'll go ahead and read it. A million Iranians fled Iran within a short period of the violent revolution. The Iranians who escaped the country were most were mostly educated doctors, scientists, military personnel, musicians, movie stars, businessmen, innovators, and some of some common folk. In contrast, the people who stayed in Iran had a different faith. Roughly 35 million Iranians were promised free everything under an Islamic system that worked very similar to a socialist system where the government takes control takes from the rich and family businesses and attempts to distribute it to the masses. It didn't work. And within a couple years, Iran was at war with Iraq's regime and its followers. Almost a million people died and instead of free everything, prices of meat, produce, goods, and services skyrocketed as they had with every socialist revolutionary movement in the 20th century. Today, 78 million Iranians are hostage to a regime with a socialist platform posing under an Islamic theocracy. Now, it said that they were taking money from the rich. Now, what politician in the media who ran for president in 2020 was talking about tax the rich? You know, I, I, I'm going to do my best impression of him. He said, okay, here we go. It's not fair that, that that's happening. You got to tax the rich. Tax the rich. It's, we have so much uh, racial inequality. We have to tax the rich. Tax the rich. So, if you didn't know, my impression probably wasn't the best. I'm actually going to be working on my. I actually have to work on my impressions of Joe Biden, uh, uh, Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, and others. So, the impression I tried to do was Bernie Sanders. So, that just tells you <laughs> a little bit about uh, uh, Bernie's ideas there. So, next we have... Section, next section says, China colludes and uses Iran and North Korea as a proxy against the West. Now, you probably, you, you, you folks are actually really, really smart. I think you're really, really smart. So you probably already knew that China was doing that. Because North, I told you before, North Korea is pretty much like China's dog. Like, if you have a chihuahua, that's North Korea. You know, China has them on a leash. So, it says, historically, when the United States attempts to support the Iranian people behind the scenes, China supports the regime through proxies. When the United States attempts to expose human rights violations in China's socialist regime, China covertly creates chaos with interests related to Iran, threatens to back Iranians, Iran's regime, or uses hidden trade maneuvers to threaten United States initiatives. Why do Iran's leaders accept support from a communist regime that thinks of the Iranian people as subhuman, while putting Muslims in concentration camps throughout China? Wouldn't Iran's leadership have self-respect and follow their religion of not working with people who insult their religion i think this is i think this is fire here you know i, I just think this is like fire so this is amazing writing in my opinion next section says chinese socialist leadership calls is iran's islamic people it's excuse me chinese socialist leadership calls iran's islamic republic its people arabs and all muslim and all muslims around the world rodents and cockroaches Multiple sources in China report that close government personnel related to retired communist leader Zhang Zemin, senior socialist party's leaders, key military personnel, and CEOs of major tech companies have in private conversation that stated that Muslims and Middle, Middle Easterners are smelly rodents that need to disappear and their wives ripped of their veils and inspected. This is what the CCP says about our Middle Eastern brethren. Wow. And it gets worse. So we're going to keep going on. 
there are tape recordings of multiple Chinese socialist leaders saying similar things about Middle Easterners and Muslims. And yet, Chinese big tech companies and their leadership have political, financial, and friendly ties with many countries in the Middle East. With this viewpoint that considers humans as rodents, what will happen to the Middle East with AI and robotics powering China's infrastructure through the One Belt, One Road initiative? Next subject says, Chinese socialist leadership pressures President Xi not to cooperate with the West, and they call out all faiths and non-socialist non rodents who need to be cleared out. So pretty much, if you are a non-socialist, and you are a person, or you are a person of faith, they call you rodent. Okay. It says, to make this clear, the intelligence and video evidence we gathered do not implicate President Xi. Rather, the old military, security, and government apparatus circling the limit and limiting President Xi through their business and political ties. Huh. Sounds. Sounds familiar. It sounds like that kind of happened to uh, a certain American president. Wow. These old communist leaders are loyal to dictator Jiang Zemin and and its cliques that are intertwined with members of the Chinese big tech companies that are owned or invested into by Jiang Zemin's inner circles and their relationship with Western big tech biometric and AI companies. Their kids and families have been sent over with their corruption money to prestige United States and European universities to invest, study, and make a relationship with kids of prestigious families and businesses. Huh, sounds like a certain American family. Huh, that was... Uh, talked about in the New York Post, but was censored by Twitter. Huh, huh, huh. I wonder who that was. Many of the Jiang Zemin's political family circle are guilty of gross human and organ trafficking violations that are to be discussed later on in the book. So that's about 29 minutes. Um, you know what? I kind of want to read. I I, I want to read this, this this last little part right here about what China thinks about a couple other people around the world. So it's going to be a little bit longer. Just bear with me here. So here we go. It says, China plans to deploy robotics and AI in the Middle East and Africa via the One Belt, One Road initiative. China is developing industries, infrastructure, trade, and investment in Africa and claims and claims it is to improve the lives of the people in those areas. Remember I talked about a certain episode when China would build ports for people, but then or China would build a parliament building for people, but then have Chinese spyware? This is part of what that is. It is introducing big tech apparatus, financial debt, smartphones, computers, and attempting to install the foundation of the Chinese regime's socialist governmental procedures in indirect ways through contacts that make the smaller nations dependent on China. This dependence, when realized, when realized is financial, governance, and technology-based, which would give China total control over nation or region after robotics and AI are introduced in one belt, one road system. China attempts to administer biodigital social programming of Africans through historical sentiments. The Africans blame the West for being conquered, enslaved, raped, and killed with, while having nothing positive to show for the West, West colonialisms. The Chinese socialist platform and the, with the mainland Chinese mind, mindset excuse me, thinks long-term and is very cautious about making moves. If they are to use someone, they never let them know. If they are to act, they, are, they only do so when they believe they have a high probability to win and have reached their long-term goals of asset takeover. This mindset may also stem from the book Sun Tzu's Art of War. I, I hope you've read that. If you haven't read that book, I think you should go read that book. In, in the case of African sufferings, they think the West just used them. Some believe that China is helping them build roads, hospitals, providing loans, and bringing its manpower to assist in numerous projects. Nothing is free. 
They are simply using Africans to be able to have the means to extract resources, minerals, and connect their machine robotics through a global network. If the Chinese government will organ traffic and experiment on their own people and put them in camps, what will they do to people in Africa? Now, I'm going to just read this last paragraph here, this last section here before I end this episode. So, it says, China's socialist leadership calls Africans dumb apes in a closed-door discussion. Through multiple private Chinese sources and recorded evidence, we received data that the Chinese communist leadership behind closed-door conversations have been discussing their One Belt, One Road initiatives in Africa. Common themes heard in multiple settings were disclosed via recorded conversations with words such as dumb apes, dark monkeys, and really worthless Africans in their analysis of the projects on the ground in Africa. Really nasty things were said about the Indian people being the color of a certain S word that I'm sure that you know, S-H, you know how it goes, as well as by multiple Chinese officials that are high-ranking in the Communist Party. They also said that. So in the year 2000, lots of people visited China. During that time, there was a very famous travel book that many people used. In the travel book, sourced from Chinese sources, it states, quote, we have racism in China because we have no black people, unquote. All right, so <laughs> we have no racism in China because we have no black people. So yeah, if you were wondering what the Chinese think about you, that's uh, that's what they think. And then in the next section, uh, I think it's, it's going to talk about how the Chinese think white people are pigs. They think you're pigs. So rodents, pigs, and dumb apes. That's what they think about us, folks. That is the Chinese Communist Party for you. So... That is all I have for you wonderful folks this week with our AI series. I know in the book it little, went a little bit off topic, but it, the book went a little bit off topic with the AI stuff, but the book was trying to show you how the Chinese view you. They pretty much view you as cattle, as animals, and they are willing to do so many things to you. They even do the things to their own people. You know, I'm sure that I actually asked somebody who was from China, and they told me, China doesn't care about us. The government doesn't care about us. And that's, that's absolutely true. So, thank you so much for listening. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful to be alive. I'm thankful that God sent his son. Uh, wherever you're doing, wherever you're going, be safe. Buy Bitcoin. I love you so much. And I will see you tomorrow on Thursday for our new segment, our last segment of the week. And we're going to be talking about a lot of topics. I'm going to try to get that in 30 minutes. I know that the last episode I... Uh, I, I made two segments because I just had so many topics, but I want to get more and more topics for you so that you folks are pretty much getting a bigger picture of what's really going on in certain areas. And I can't cover every single topic. I know that, but I'm going to try my best to, to cover a myriad of topics so you folks can really get things from so I can really hit you from so many different angles on what's going on in the world. So. So we're running in about 35 minutes. Thank you so much. I will see you tomorrow on Thursday. Broken, 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 broken.